Are you getting divorced? At the moment, no. But uh, it doesn't look good. Do you still love us? Of course I do. Do you still love Mom? Yes, very much. But your mother's asked me to leave, and I must respect her position on the matter. Was it our fault? No. Oh, obviously, we made certain sacrifices as a result of having children, but uh, no, Lord, no. Then why did she ask you to leave? I don't really know anymore. Maybe uh, I wasn't as true to her as I could have been. Well, she says... Let's just drop that, shall we? This is Snails and Oysters. Welcome to Snails and Oysters, the bi-weekly, bi-coastal, bi-sexual movie podcast. I'm Nat Roberts. And I'm Allie Rogers. And please forgive my slightly less than professional audio today. I moved into a new apartment last month and I have not had time to even buy a desk. So I'm recording <laughs> on my laptop's microphone. Allie, can you forgive me? I forgive you. <laughs> it is the it is the Christmas season. Yeah, forgiveness is in the air for sure. As we all know, Jesus famously forgave the wise men for giving him gifts that were completely useless <laughs> for a baby. How are you doing? What are you doing with the rest of your year? This is also the last episode of Snails and Oysters for the year. Honestly, I have been in like hibernation mode. It's been like very cloudy and very dark in New York, and I've just been going to bed early, sleeping late. You know, keeping it, keeping it snuggly, you know, and I think it's just going to be snuggly, snuggly season for the rest of the year. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) I highly support that. Yeah. 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 And hopefully get to a couple more Christmas parties. We'll see. Last year. There were uh, a couple Christmas parties I was supposed to attend, but I got sick. And I remember I dodged two bullets because there were supposed to be two parties I went to. And both of them had COVID outbreaks. And I couldn't go because I was was sick with something that wasn't COVID. Wow, that that really is Robin Peter to pay Paul. (laughs) Well, I hope you get to go to some more this year. Yeah, thank you. What about you? you, How are you closing out to 022? (laughs) <laughs> um, well, 2022, I will be going up to Seattle to see my sister and her boyfriend for Christmas. Nice, nice. nice quiet holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, get some colder temperatures, which only feels appropriate. Uh, but then, yeah, I'll, I'll spend New Year's in LA. Hopefully, go to New Year's in some LA. sort of yeah, <laughs> some sort of shindig. Uh, the the intensity of which is yet to be determined. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I. Uh, I I I I never like I feel like it's become such a thing to be like oh fuck this year it's finally over but you know 2022 wasn't too hard on me personally so you know I would call it a mezza mezza year what about you Oh, uh, I don't know what mezza mezza means <laughs> Oh it's it's something my old roommate used to say and now I say it all the time it means sort of the it, middle of the road Yeah okay I feel like in French class we had something that meant a similar thing. It was like someone would ask you how you were in French. Oh, come see, come see. It's like almost always what I said. I've been come see, come saw for a good 20 years. <laughs> 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 but um, 
Yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I, I also agree it's not one of those years that I'm like, yeah, throw it in the trash, set it on fire. Hell yeah. What, we got two vaccines this year, right? Yes. Or three? I can't remember, but I'm very grateful. And then there's the flu shot. You know, obviously very grateful. Just a lot of needles. And yeah, needles. I just generally feel a little more protected. I've been able to feel like I've been having like a slightly more quote unquote normal life, but what's normal anyways, yeah. you know? Yes, exactly. We don't know. We're not sure. I feel like it's not so much things have gotten better so much as people have gotten better at dealing with things, you know? Yeah. Which is really depressing now that I've said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, we've all acclimated to misery. This has nothing to do with Wes Anderson. Wes no. Anderson lives in a fantasy world. A fantasy world. <laughs> Everything is center framed. Yep. Center framing. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, though, I have a theory that all but one of Wes Anderson films are secretly Christmas movies. You have said this, like, many times. Yes. No, no, talk to me about it. Well, it's just the one exception. Well, there are two exceptions. Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, because I haven't seen it, mm -hmm. but also Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is actually the rare Thanksgiving movie because it's very autumnal and centers around a big meal. Mm. But the, the reason I say Wes Anderson's movies are Christmas movies is partly because a lot of them, and this is one of them, use songs from A Charlie Brown Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was what made me feel like it was slightly holiday-ish and just like... yeah. You know, people wearing coats and like New York and a lot of layers. I think there's snow in this movie or not. I watched Gilmore Girls after watching this movie and there was snow <laughs> in Gilmore Girls. So their two are weirdly blending in my brain. Dude, you've got to move out to L.A. so that you and T can be friends because <laughs> all they have been watching for the past like three weeks is Gilmore Girls. Although they did just hit season five, which is where they tap out because it gets bad, apparently. Oh, interesting. I'm on season four. Oh, okay. Mm, very interesting. <laughs> you and T should start a Gilmore Girls podcast <laughs> spinoff and just do like an episode by episode, blow by blow. <laughs> and then maybe I'll watch along. <laughs> well, it's just something about you telling me to start a Gilmore Girls podcast uh, made me want to talk about uh, today. I went to this coffee shop to read for a bit. Um, brave mm. of me to be offline, <laughs> offline and hashtag analog reading in a cafe, like some kind of intellectual. Um, not something that these Zoomers know about, <laughs> am I right? I'm not right. Anyways, I'm sitting there and these two girls sit down next to me because like I'm sitting on the couch and they start talking and it's just one of those moments where like you realize you're not that unique of a person because they're talking, these two young women talking about... Like one of them's talking about her podcast. It's like a queer podcast. <laughs> and then they're talking about freelancing and they're jo making jokes about freelancing and applying for jobs. And I'm just like, I'm just like not original, not original. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just met your doppelganger from another universe. I mean, listen, we're, we, we are shaped by our times as much as we shape our times. You know what I mean? I feel more shaped by times than I've shaped. I don't think I've shaped anything. Yeah, I haven't shaped shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in shape. How can I shape my times? <laughs> uh, well, one thing we can shape is this, this podcast. Episode. And the minds, the minds of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it's the end of the year, y'all. We're getting silly with it. Yeah. Um, so should we just do the plot? Let's get into that yeah. plot. The Royal Tenenbaums, 
is a post 9-11-2001 American comedy <laughs> drama film. I'm sorry, that's so fucked up, but all I could think was like it is how mind-boggling her how strange. Like I want to talk to someone who saw this in theaters and was like, yeah, like a few months after 9-11, I saw the most twee. Delightful. Like, how did, I yeah. don't know. I'm being weird. I shouldn't inject 9-11 into it. Anyways, you start. No, no, no. It's too late. We, we're there. Listen, Allie, this is where we live now. We live in a post you saying post 9-11 world. <laughs> but it uh, it, it was uh, directed by Wes Anderson and co-written with his frequent collaborator, Owen Wilson. It stars the other Wilson, uh, along with Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Danny Glover, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Bill Murray, Kumar Palana, and Owen Wilson, and Seymour Cassell. Like, there's there's a lot of great actors in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the majority of them play members of the extended Tenenbaum family, a eclectic collection of child prodigies, selfish assholes, and geniuses, depending on which one and at what point in their life. The film starts out by introducing us to the three Tenenbaum children, uh, Margot. The adopted playwrights. Chaz. Overprotective businessman father figure. And Richie, the tennis prodigy. Yes. Um, And so they're all kind of these really gifted kids being raised by their mom, Ethelene, and their father, Royal Tenenbaum, leaves them when they're like... About eight Eight or nine. Yeah. (laughs) We're then introduced to the children as adults when they are pretty much all neurotics and failures. Like they're my favorite. They're losers. They're so great. I (laughs) love exactly. They're great losers. Yeah. We'll we'll get into classic losers. So you know, Margot hasn't published a new play in years and is uh, in a loveless marriage with uh, psychologist Raleigh St. Clair. Richie has been wandering the world after choking during his final tennis match. And Chaz is still reeling from the loss of his wife in a plane crash and is, like, obsessing over his two sons' safety. So then basically what happens is Royal Tenant Bob, you know, who's been outside of, like, the family unit for a while, is getting kicked out of the hotel that he's lived in for two decades. And at the same time finds out his estranged wife, Etheline, is... Uh, going to marry her business partner, the wonderful Henry Sherman, uh, played by Danny Glover. And he decides to work his way back into the family to prevent the change of the status quo. Right, yeah. And he does this by lying to Ethelian and saying that he's dying. He only has six weeks to live. Right. This coincidentally lines up with all three adult children having various nervous breakdowns and moving back into their childhood home with their mother, effectively reuniting the family unit under one very tense roof. <laughs> yeah. Um, and adding to the tension is uh, Eli, who is their neighbor. Um, I don't think we've mentioned him yet. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. he, But he is like a neighbor of theirs who was kind of always at their house growing up and is now like a fairly successful novelist with a bit of a drug and alcohol problem. And he is also hooking up with Margot, even though she is married. And she's in love with her brother, Richie, who's in love with her. We'll get into it. We know. Remember, like, she's adopted. It's not as creepy. It's so creepy. It's just, it's just a lot. It's weird. It's weird. 
After Royal has spent about six days back in the family home trying to ingratiate himself, Sherman uh, exposes his lies uh, about his, you know, uh, fatal illness, and he's thrown out of the house. All of his kids officially hate him, uh, and no one's speaking to him. He has no money, and he has to get a job in the hotel he used to live in as an elevator operator. Yeah, exactly. There's been this little subplot where... Richie, who's in love with Margot and her brother, and Margot's husband, Rally, have like hired not her brother. Not her brother. Have hired a PI to dig into her background. She's notoriously secretive. And also Rally suspects that there's someone else. Um, and the PI has managed to basically presents to them a like full sexual history. Um where she's also constantly smoking and no one has even known that she's a smoker. All these revelations combined with his his beloved father's betrayal sort of pushes uh, Richie to attempt suicide, which ultimately does not succeed. Uh, and he returns to the house uh, after escaping the hospital and he and Margot sort of admit to each other that they're in love and agree to keep it a secret for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. From there, Richie, he ends up going to the hotel where his father works and divulging to his father that he's in love with his sister, his adopted sister. Mm -hmm. And from this moment, pretty much from the moment that his dad gets an actual job, um, <laughs> <laughs> he actually starts to change. I'm not saying it's a big change. We're not talking 180 totally. degrees. We're talking a 10% change. But when you're that much yeah. of an asshole, it's like, wow. It counts. It counts. And, and what matters the most is that he starts making material amends. Like yes. He grants Ethelene the divorce that she wants. Mm -hmm. He, you know, tries to show up for Margot. He tries to show up for Chaz and his kids. And he, he is very open about the fact that he's always been an asshole. Mm-hmm. And this sort of culminates on the day of Ethelene and Henry's wedding when Eli is high on mescaline and nearly kills Chaz's kids, uh, but Royal saves them at the last minute. And this also inspires Chaz to admit he has a problem and needs some help as well. Yeah, everyone's struggling here. Um, everyone's struggling. Uh, yeah, and not that's it's it's like pretty much the end of the film. But then I feel like this is a bit of a coda, but it's not technically a coda, which is that Royal ends up dying of a heart attack. <laughs> yep, it's part of this like larger epilogue section where we see you know Raleigh publishes a book. Mm -hmm. uh, Chaz starts to bond with his father. Eli checks into rehab. And then uh, Royal passes away only a few months after the, the events of the film. Um, but his entire family does attend his funeral, sort of symbolizing that he's been forgiven to some degree. Yeah, and his, <laughs> his gravestone. <laughs> early, early in the film, he says to his wife when she thinks that he's dying of stomach cancer, yeah. I, you know, I, I would love you to like copy edit my like will <laughs> and my gravestone. And yeah. then we see like his gravestone says, died tragically rescuing his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship. <laughs> Which is pretty fucking if you ask it's me. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't feel like we need to really, you know, tell people much about Royal Tenenbaums. This is the movie that launched Wes Anderson as a mainstream phenomenon. Um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. 
Oh, I was going to ask, uh, when when did you first see this movie? I don't remember. Uh, I do remember feeling a bit late because I do feel like I grew up just in a post-Wes Anderson world. Like, I just felt like, <laughs> you know, saturated with... I totally get that. Like, just especially, like, being, you know, slightly more... I don't think I was cool enough to be a hipster in high school, but I was, like, hipster adjacent. <laughs> I was, like, I was yeah. like on the tumblers where people were reblogging. You know, little pictures of pictures of Margot Tenenbaum with their sad thoughts. Like, I just felt like it was, like, in the air that I breathed. And so I, I think it that. took me a while to actually watch the Royal Tenenbaums. And it's funny, like, what I did, I remember loving it. But I think I saw his some of his other films first. Mm-hmm. And um, upon this watch, I felt much more like, oh, wow, like, the heart of this movie. Like, I think the first time I watched it, I felt really just taken away by, like, the whimsy of it, the style mm-hmm. of it. This watch, I was so much more just, like, heartbroken by a lot of it. Because yeah. <laughs> it is heartbreaking, you it know? Is. It's, like, it, it's yeah. it, it's really, like, you know, if you strip out the, like, Wes Anderson-ness yeah. of it, you get, <laughs> like, you could get just, like, a totally different, very tr- sad, raw indie film about a broken family, you know? Totally. Which would be kind of miserable to watch, to yes. be honest. Yes, uh, I don't want to watch Whereas that. I want to watch very this. very enjoyable. Very watchable, very watchable. Yeah. But yeah, it was just funny upon the second watch, like I felt really jarred by that. But this is about an asshole mm-hmm. who's already done a lot of damage, asking for more than he is really deserves, you know? Totally. That's Royal Tenenbaum, by the way. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I I feel similarly like I definitely grew up in like a like Wes Anderson as a fact of life, but not necessarily one that I saw a lot of until like high school or so when I really started watching his movies. Sure. Um, I think this might have been the first one I saw, actually, because Mm. people kept comparing my family to the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, no. And so I needed to see it. (laughs) And I can't say... That they were right because we were like a homeschooled family of mm. incredible, like not not to toot our own home, but we were pretty smart kids. Geniuses, um, all geniuses. I would not go that far. <laughs> I used to say my family is like the Royal Tenenbaums, but less fucked up. Now I say my family is like the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh God. Well, okay. Here's my hot take, and it's not that hot, it. but it's like <laughs> your type of take. Go for it. Well, I just feel like this movie, like what's the word not predicted but it was ahead of its it, it kind of like gave birth to the burned out gifted kid discourse totally. that, that like consumes like 15 years before before it became this like like twitter burned out gifted yeah. it's like yeah it's a twitter phenomenon it's also like there's like a whole uh sphere of tiktok that i feel like is dedicated <laughs> to helping like burned out gifted kids like recover and i also yeah. feel like it it was like I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting to me that this is like about these kids who feel like they peaked a long time ago and now their lives are all fucked up because like, I feel like that's, that's an experience that a lot of people resonate with. And I don't, I'm not like here to weigh in on like the validity of, there's a lot of people who are like, this is, it's a bullshit term. It's this, it's that, like whatever. (laughs) But I just think it's interesting that this was like 
so early on, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I always forget that this is a 2001 movie. Like, this yeah, is, it's crazy. This is a 21-year-old film. Yeah. And yet it, it still feels very fresh and, like, vibrant when you actually go back to watch it. It really does. It doesn't feel like some of the other films we've watched that just immediately feel dated. And part of that totally. is just Wes Anderson has a style that is so of its own that is kind of timeless because it's just so strange you know exactly like it, it it's he he like pulls it out of linear time yeah and creates a little bubble world so even like something like the grand budapest hotel is technically set in a particular period and even has homages to it and yet it, it still feels like its own place its own like alternate reality almost yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and one that's internally consistent across his films honestly like it, yeah. it goes beyond an aesthetic it's it's just like the way he frames technology and the way that fashion is entirely individualistic it has very little to do with like larger trends mm-hmm. yeah definitely Sorry, I just had to take a big slug of seltzer. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> the other thing I'd say about this movie is, and, and I've come up with a term for the films that we cover that mm-hmm. have to do with this, and it's inspired by a friend of mine, Ryan, who really <laughs> wanted us to watch the Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie. Um, and he Sorry, pitched, Ryan. Yeah, sorry, Ryan, not killed Maybe it. Maybe next year, bud. <laughs> but he, he kept pitching it to me, um, and he was like, there is a bi character, but it's a blink and you miss it. And I'm like, oh, like how how quick does it go by? And he's like, well, you know, it'd have to be a really long blink. But like it's and this <laughs> this movie is the same thing. It's a blink and you'll miss it. And I think it we can yeah. describe a whole category of films that we watch as blinkers. Like you totally. blink, you miss it. It's there for a second and it's gone. Totally. That's a really good term for it. I think you're absolutely right. Like, I would say, like, immediately 500 Days of Summer comes to mind. Yeah. Total blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Um, you know, like, so, oh, my God. Easy A, one we just did. Uh, I you mean, have to not blink, blink twice. but if you plug yeah. your ears. Yeah. You plug, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. And I feel like it's specific. It's specifically uh, – used with bi characters. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, think I can't so. think of an example of another queer group being used for blink and you miss it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it exists. Yeah. Like for other groups, I but I mean, I do think yeah, in our in our rough sociological survey a survey of bi yeah. films, <laughs> it definitely seems to be like very common. This it seems to be like a really quick way to inject a fact I don't know mm-hmm. and also that's supposed to signify at least I think in this film and in 500 days of summer a kind of like edginess absolutely especially for female characters like I think it's very yeah. it's it's specifically female characters where there's some mention that in their backstory they they are bi or mm-hmm. have at least had relationships with women and things mm-hmm. like that and it it, it is very much Especially, I would say, in, like, mid-2000s films like this one, used as, like, oh, she's a little little dangerous or, you know, <laughs> something like that. She's cool. She's, you know. Uh, she's not like something. the other girls. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah because in this instance, it's um, Margot is our bi character. And it is just one shot in that montage of her sexual experiences. Uh 
of her in Paris with another woman, and that's about it. And I will give it credit that it's in at least a shot that's like very. It's not just a shot with her, like you know, looking at drinking a window espresso, with, yeah. <laughs> drinking yeah, like and gazing longingly into another woman's eyes. It's like very much they are full on kissing, making out, touching boobs. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's great. But it's yeah, great. It's, they're it's, touching it's, boobs. It's awesome. Touching, nothing. Yeah, nothing anyway. wrong with that. <laughs> It actually, I mean, in a weird way, feels like Summer Finn and Margot Tenenbaum fit into kind of not the same character archetypes, but a similar cultural space. Only it's like Summer Finn has been adopted by like incels as their ultimate villain, while Margot Tenenbaum has been adopted by like slightly depressed hipster women as their like leader a little bit. Would you say that's their patron saint? Their patron saint, yes, of. Uh, you know, American spirit smoking, <laughs> yeah. thrift shopping, NYU freshmen. Yeah, freshmen all over this country. But Absolutely. yeah, no, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because part of me feels like, I, I forget why, but there was something a little cheap about it in 500 Days of Summer. Totally. But in this film, I don't feel as cynical about the fact that they just, they're like, yeah, she's bisexual, even though they never name her that. And this is like, she only has one woman in her, in her history. Totally. But I, I feel like somehow it feels more like authentic. I don't know. I agree. I think it's partly that Margot is a much, it, the Margot's character is given a lot more space to develop. Like she is one of the leads of this ensemble. Yeah. Whereas Summer is very much the object rather than the subject of her mm, film. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we see plenty of Margot's perspective on things other than Richie, whereas Summer, we mostly see how she relates to Tom and how she relates to romantic relationships in general. Mm-hmm. Whereas here we get, you know, Margot's relationship with Royal, Margot's relationship with her birth family and her secretiveness and like all of these other traits that she has uh, that fill her out as a character. Yeah. And bisexuality kind of fits in with them where she is, uh, you know, sexually adventurous in her youth um, and... Yeah, what's nice, I I think, is that she never really apologizes yeah. to Raleigh for that. She more apologizes to Richie. <laughs> yeah, I know that was that. I, I'd say that's like the one kind of funny thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because like you kind of Richie's like little breakdown. Sorry, I shouldn't say little breakdown. It's actually like a very disturbing and scary <laughs> scene. It really yeah. scared me. It's a very well done suicide scene. I have to say. Yeah, but it's interesting because like. In a good way, I think you can't totally locate, like, why he's having this breakdown, but you get the sense that it's just, like, too many things. Like, he he really went to bat for his dad, believing that his dad was truly dying and trying to get his yeah. family to get on board with forgiveness. He's the one who brought him into the house. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, like, feeling like, okay, well, he lied to me about that. And then the stuff with Margot, it feels like is it's interesting because it's like, is he upset? Because she had all these different sexual experiences and has, in fact, been married before. Mm. Or is he just upset that basically, like, the woman he loves had, like, so many secrets and, like, never really let him into her life in all of these different ways. Even though he thought they were close. He thought they were close and didn't even know that 
she smoked and didn't know she was married, you know? And here yeah. she was, like, living this life. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a little ambiguous. I think I, I think it's a bit of both, and it's, it's nice that the film... It, it's partly an advantage of Wes Anderson's storybook style is that you're not really thinking about any like it, it doesn't feel like a statement is being made it just feels like these weird characters have their weird relationship yeah and it's not meant to be applicable to anybody else totally totally and I, it, it does feel like like on this rewatch i actually appreciated um the consistency of the characters to a greater degree like they are mm. like they're they they are as distinct in personality as they are sartorially mm. like um there is no confusing one person's dialogue for another's yeah. even though they all speak sort of the same dialect and i think richie's story is really about broken illusions because you know we see in the childhood sequence he's the only one who has a good relationship with their dad as a kid yeah. and even as an adult they have like a close connection or what he thinks is a close connection yeah and we also see his sort of boyish obsession with his sister Margot. um and so both of them are not the people he thought they were mm-hmm. and that seems to be the the main thing he's struggling with it's not who they are it's just that they aren't who he had in his head definitely yeah mm, sensitive richie Let, let's let's briefly point at the elephant and let's get the tiger on the table and yell at it marco and richie are brother and sister yeah wow. she may be adopted but they were still raised together i know it's that's still the other- weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's strange i don't know i i really don't know what to make of that i it's, yeah. it's weird i don't <laughs> Like it's it's interesting i was doing a little a slight amount of research and it seemed like um Wes Anderson apparently had a childhood friend who was in love with his sister and hopefully didn't <laughs> consummate that relationship. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it, it seems like one of the th- those things of like, here is a social boundary. Let's dance around it and see what happens. And I would call this an instance of it working because it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel like this is meant to be a general statement. It's just sort of, these two characters happen to have been raised together and happen to be in love with each other. Yeah, and I I think it's also just a way to like kind of without without like having to name the emotion to really dig into like shame. Yeah. And like what that could do to a person because I definitely get the sense, I don't know, like that part of Richie's suicide attempt is just like Oh my, like just this shame of Mm. kind of this years and years and years long obsession, obsession, and also like realizing how it shaped him and realizing how fucked up that is. And even his dad says to him like, oh, it's not traditional or something like says something funny. (laughs) But I think the other thing, I mean, it's very strange. It's like definitely a little uncomfortable, but also like the fact that there's so many other fucked up things happening in their family. It almost doesn't feel like it matters. <laughs> well, not that it feels like it matters, but you're kind of like, sure. Yeah, true. Like, I think Anderson creates a portrait of a family that is so dysfunctional that you're kind of like, the believability of it is like bigger than the strangeness and tabooness of it somehow. You're like, of course, the three kids who are like, weirdly raised as geniuses and had this fucked up narcissist 
and and in a family where the dad was constantly emphasizing that she was adopted. Totally. You know, like she's yeah. making like othering her in her own family. You're just like, I guess some really weird shit could emerge from that scenario. Exactly. And it, I mean, it's also a little bit of like, you know, it, it's sort of taking love conquers all and really following through on it, which at least in spirit is admirable. You know, it's like. Yeah, maybe love does conquer everything. Maybe it doesn't matter, like, if they love each other enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Not, maybe it's again, just... in reality, but in this little Wes Anderson storybook world. Or maybe it's just another instance of, like, uh, <laughs> Wes Anderson being ahead of his time. Because I think I saw a headline <laughs> the other day that was, like, every once in a while the a headline comes out that's, like, these are the biggest porn searches in America. And always, oh always, <laughs> like, siblings and step-siblings, like, are up there. And he was just ahead of his time. He knew how freaky America <laughs> truly was. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's what I'm saying, though. It is, like, it's just a boundary. And the fact that a boundary exists... People are going to obsess over it and fetishize it. Now, contrary to much of many of my other opinions, this is a boundary I think should exist, yeah, incidentally. Just want to make sure that's clear. But it in the space of art and making art that like this, where it's clearly not meant to deal in practical, you know, how to live. Obviously, if your dad's been a shit his entire life, you shouldn't forgive him just because he starts doing a few nice things. Yeah. But the principle of forgiveness is true, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that makes it not convincing, but it's just like, they're both so unhappy. Yeah. You know, like by the time they confess their love to each other, he has had an extremely serious suicide attempt and she has just been languishing for an unknown period of time. When we meet her in the beginning of the film, she's spending eight hours a day in the tub with a small TV precariously <laughs> placed on the radiator. And that's yeah. just like vaguely suicidal, even though she says, yeah. oh, it's, 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 you know, leashed to the radiator. It's just like, <laughs> you know, there's just a degree to which they're so unhappy that you're like, listen, if this they is what this. you guys need, like, I don't know. And her know. husband leaves her immediately before that scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, it's it's Wes Anderson. No, Nobody else's rules apply. They're all, it's his world and we're just living in it. Yeah. I would love to know, like, in the original, like, just, like, get some original notes on the script or something. I'm just being like, huh, like, how did this come about? <laughs> I mean, they were biologically related in the original scripts. And um, still in love. Yep. But Anderson wow. changed that and later admitted it worked better that way. So, you know, I mean, some, that, some that bowing to lot. reality happened. <laughs> that would have been a lot. That really that would have been, been a lot. lot. I, don't um, think, I don't think I could have gone there with the U.S., <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Wes, for for reining in your more uh, challenging impulses. Um, Now, I'm curious, like, Mm. Wes Anderson is to this day a very divisive filmmaker. Like, T hates his work. I love it. Yeah. So where do you land on him? I love it. I love Wes Anderson. Yeah. I think his worlds are definitely too white. Yes. Uh, I think that's just a very fair criticism of his work. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. And I also just love it. I mean... I, yeah. I, Apart from that, it's great. Uh, but yeah, I get why he's divisive. Anyone who has like as intense of a style as 
mm-hmm. is him and, and anyone who plays that hard into like whimsy and like has these unrealistic I mean the way all the children talk in this movie is just absurd I don't know a child ever talks like that but you know it works for you or it doesn't I think is the vibe I agree and I, I do feel like in some ways like even, even as a fan of his I would say that this might be his best movie still just because it's sort of like where he was still making some concessions to realism while very much in his own space. It's not like Bottle Rocket where he didn't really have the budget to do exactly what he was going for. Mm. The the only other contenders for his best movie, I would say, are my favorites, which is Grand Budapest Hotel, but also Moonrise Kingdom, which I would say Moonrise Kingdom really builds on royal tenants mm. in a in a very nice way. Yeah, I love both those movies. I think Budapest Hotel might be my favorite, but I'd have to go mm. back and rewatch it cuz it's been a long time. What did you think of French Dispatch? Let's get the, let's let's talk I about can't that. I remember. I don't think I've seen French Dispatch. I'd be very curious cuz it is like speaking of like just being really in your face with the style, that is his most, like, in your face doing the Wes Anderson thing. Interesting. Um, And I enjoyed it and liked it, but also when people say they hate it, I'm like, you're absolutely right. You know, like, objectively, objectively, it is totally just for fans like me. Interesting. I'll have to give it a little watch. Um, But yeah, it it is kind of nice, though, that there is, like, for for the past, call it 22 years, he's been, like, a a real force against the prevailing trends of American filmmaking. Like, you know, not only against, like, the, the Marvel franchising of every goddamn thing but also even in dramas and indie movies the the trend has been towards gritty realism quote unquote and for for the majority of his career wes anderson has been sort of this like lone voice in the wilderness being like but what if it was pretty instead (laughs) yeah i definitely appreciate it and it's funny watching it i i don't think i felt this the first time but watching it this time i feel like i could just see how his point of view in filmmaking has trickled down. I feel like you see it a lot in music videos. I feel like music videos are much more willing to like lean hard into a particular aesthetic. Absolutely. Um, And because they're short and they're like, you know, you want attention on them. They're cheap. You know, if it doesn't go well, no, no, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I think, I think it's nice. It's nice to have someone who's, you know, little, little whimsical, who's also giving other, pe- other people permission to pursue a different, a different kind of style. You know, because we can't all, we can't all do gritty realism. Exactly. For some reason, like I'm thinking a lot about like the skeleton twins as like a, a comparison. Totally, I don't know I why. Can see that. I, yeah. I, well, I, I just maybe just the themes of like siblings reuniting and <laughs> suicide and like yeah. Well, dealing with like very dark topics in a slightly more twee way or like a, a slightly like a, a way that doesn't play the darkness. You know, it it the darkness is there, but it isn't like, did you notice that it's fucked up? And it's like, yes, movie, I did. I'm watching. Can you please give me something else to do as well? I, I feel like something like a Royal Tenenbaums I really enjoy because it's able to be honest about reality without completely giving itself over to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who wants definitely. to watch just real life on screen? Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Totally. Not me. Well, no, a lot of people you. do actually. 
Oh, True, God. there's a lot of cable news junkies out there. <laughs> Not that that's real life either. Yeah, I don't know what would be the realest real life. Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm spiraling. I'm spiraling. <laughs> Help. <laughs> do you want to talk uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about Royal? Since he's kind of the, maybe not the main character, but the central character of this movie? Yeah, he's kind of the, I don't know how to describe him. Um, he's such an asshole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's a tragic figure, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because it's like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's what's interesting to me is that the film never lets up on him. Like it it's it always makes clear that what he's 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 caused nothing but harm his entire life. And yet it's through kind of reintegrating his perspective into the family that they're healed, you know, like mm-hmm. he he's the one who identifies that Chaz is overprotective of his sons. He's the one who, you know, sort of points out that like Richie is, is struggling. Like he also like calls out Margot for her affair with Eli, which not yeah. not in the best way, not no. like, but it is like, yeah, he is kind of this this breath of fresh air, weirdly, even though he's also a jerk. Yeah. It's it's almost like um, I feel like he he only makes sense in contrast with Ethelene, who's like the ultimate supportive parent, and that he's the ultimate critical parent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what the the film is sort of saying is that in the in the end, you need both. You need in all relationships, in all love, you need to be able to call people out when they're doing wrong, but also love and support them throughout. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of interesting that it's like distilled down to these two characters who are 100% one and 100% the other. And we see how that is not good either. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, just to wrap up on Royal, I, I mentioned this, I think, in the plot synopsis, but something I really, really like about this movie is that this isn't a film about an asshole like this this isn't a film about an asshole who is doing a total redemptive arc this is a film about an asshole who wants his to have his cake and eat it too he wants to be able to like walk out of his kid's life for seven years and then walk right back in Mm. but it's also a film about someone who does ultimately realize that they need to change Mm -hmm. And takes, like, the smallest steps towards change. And it's about, I think, the power of even those tiny, itty-bitty baby steps, especially for big-time assholes. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you, or, like, I guess I'm saying even if you just, even if you're not an asshole, you're just someone who maybe has... Done some harm. Done some harm or strayed from a path, even, like, done some harm to yourself, not living the way you want to. Even just the smallest little material steps. Like, there's something so, like, genuine about that turn at the end that is very heartwarming, Um, Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, it's kind of a movie about like this family not being able to move on. Like they're all kind of stuck for the years that Royal is absent. Um, You know, like the the kids are still very much like they're still dressed the same way. Yeah. They're still the same personalities. They're still doing the same things that they were doing as children. Yeah. Uh, and they're still discussed as children. Like Royal and Ethelene both call them the kids and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's only like Chaz is the only one who, who seems to have changed at all. But even he's reverted to this sort of adolescent state after the death of his wife. Yeah. Um, 
where he's just sort of back to the person he's always been. And it, it feels almost like what Royal needs to do isn't so much change and fix things so much as just like admit that it's all his fault so that they can start to move on. Yeah, and just like genuinely show up for them. Yeah, like you actually, know? like even in a flawed human way, be there. Yeah, which is like what he does with uh, Richie when he's talking about his crush on Margot. Yeah. Um, and it's what he does for his grandsons, you know, when they almost get it by yeah. a car. It's like he does what he can when he's there. He can't fix the last seven years, but he can, in a, like, normal way, try to be a good human. Yeah, absolutely. For the brief time he has as he dies of a heart attack. Yeah, true. Redemption <laughs> does sometimes mean death. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's, like, almost good that he doesn't, like, live long enough to fuck up again. Yeah, true. Which is, like, very fucked up to say. He goes out on say. a high note. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, do you want to do Fuck, Mary Kill real quick? Yeah, all three of the siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, Mary Margot. Mm -hmm. I just like her initiative. I like that she's, like, yeah. led this big life all by herself, kind of been, like, fuck with this family. Um, fuck Richie, because I like his depressive vibe which is probably <laughs> problematic sorry um and yeah kill Chaz. just put him out of his misery he's too high strong <laughs> that's me that's me yeah i mean the only one i could see swapping is margo and richie but even then i would probably still go for mary margo honestly nice or, she's I don't so know. fun. I, I, well, I wait, feel like wait, wait. She's she, not really she fun. Is, but I would get kind of tired of her hiding in the bathroom all the time. So I might, I might say Mary Richie yeah. and fuck Margot, but uh, and kill Chaz by default, just because I'm, I'm not particularly attracted to Ben Stiller um, <laughs> under the best of circumstances, and Damn. a red tracksuit really isn't doing it. Damn. <laughs> Actually, funny bit of trivia, uh, one of the guys who plays his son, Jonah Meyerson, I know him uh, from back when I was an intern on The Late Show. He was a production assistant over there. That's so funny. <laughs> and I, I for that. the longest time, had no idea. Like, I, I, I was just like, huh. Yeah, he has a picture of the Royal Tenenbaums on his desk. Okay, I guess I like that movie too. And then someone explained. That's and really I, funny. I think actually when Ben Stiller came on to do an interview, they did a bit with him where he like came out as his estranged son or something. That's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just a little a little uh, uh, trivia for, for the listener. Well, I don't have any connection to anyone in the Tenenbaums except I once have, I have smoked a cigarette before. <laughs> Well, there you go. You're basically Margot Tenenbaum. <laughs> oh, my God. You live in New York. You've smoked a cigarette. You write. You listen, are Margot. Listen, when she starts, like, using her little nicotine vape, I'm like, once again, Wes Anderson is ahead of his time. If this movie had been made in 2022, girl would be sucking down jewels. <laughs> she would have been ripping sick cotton, bruh. Oh. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening to this, the final episode of Snails and Oysters for 2022. Yeah. Um, if you like the show, please like, subscribe, comment, review, however you can interact with it on your podcatcher. Interact. Uh, that's that's all anybody's interact. ever said. You must pay interact. attention to us. It's so um. funny. I I um I don't know if people have been charting the rise of AI. I'm not prepared. You're probably not prepared. Let's talk about it briefly because, like, 
Um, I guess like this new chatbot has come out that's just like exceptionally good at writing. Like it, I watched an AI chatbot the other day. Wait, wait, sorry, I, I lost the thread of what you were saying. Sorry. Yes, yeah, so we need everyone to interact because you know I don't know if people have been reading all about a lot about AI. It's coming for us. It's coming for all of us. People are people are sharing. Listen, listen. Let me finish the thought. People are sharing their little AI portraits that make them look just a little bit hotter. <laughs> and I also watched an AI chatbot the other day write a joke like within uh-huh. seconds and it was like too good to be funny. Like like it was funny and it was too good to be like an AI. It was unsettling. It was unsettling and I just feel like and and they just said college colleges now have to deal with the fact that AIs can write like full essays. Like I feel like I'm someone who's like Oh, I hope to like one day be successful in some way in writing. And now I'm like, it's too late. AIs are coming for me. ARs. Ali. Um, but I'm just, listen, listen. I'm just saying yeah. you have to interact with our podcast because so far AI hasn't been able to come for podcasting. It's one of the last human <laughs> art forms. It's one of Ali, the, this it, is an insane tangent. It's one of the <laughs> last human art forms. Okay. Like, where, where did that come from? There were, it just, just really made sense credits. to me. It really I made sense to me. Credits. No, it really tracked for me. To me, it felt totally natural, like a natural tangent, a normal, 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 normal tangent. A very normal thing to be worried about. Okay. <laughs> what, the, what the hell? He's doing Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Th- thank you, Billy and Abby. Let's... What the fuck? I can't go on after that. What was that? Bye, everybody. <laughs> thank you for being a bye ally. <laughs> We must defeat the robots. Okay. What?